0: I want to thank you two one
1: I want to thank you all for joining us today. My name is Victoria Angini and I am the student coordinator of the uh, Island Spector Center. Today our host is going to be Alex and he's going to be talking about what do the Russians
2: think. Hello everyone panel audience my name is Alex Bosov. I'm a professor in the Nile College of Humanities and Sciences and uh, I teach contemporary perspectives courses, of course, uh, global politics, and uh, obviously ethnically Russian border raised former of the Soviet Union, very much interested in the topic
3: of Russia, and I'm pleased to be the sponsor today.
4: My name is Tom Strand. I'm a professor of history and associate dean for general education.
5: My name is Maria Soledad, I'm, Romero. I'm an animation student, a senior. Uh,
0: my name is Chris, I'm a fifth-year architecture student. My name is Austin, I'm a- architecture student.
6: My name is Aaron. I'm a fifth year architecture student.
7: My name is Michael. I'm also a fifth year student.
0: <laughs> <laughs> My name is Jason Dettenbrock. I'm an industrial design undergrad, minor in environmental sustainability.
8: I'm Barbara Kimmelman. I'm professor of
3: history and the academic dean of the College of Science, Health and Liberal Arts. I am a minor professor of history and the director of the All practice
2: All right, so we um, are here obviously discussing contemporary Russia today, and I'd like to read the introductory uh, statements, which I hope will get things going. Almost three decades ago, the near-complete collapse of everything Soviet assured a gradual uh, withering of the Cold War and any significant U.S.-Russian frictions from the imagination of many U.S.-Americans. Without the looming commie threat, Russia seems to have lost its relevance. Not anymore. Much has been told about the Russian rigging of the 2016 presidential election in favor of Donald Trump and Mr. Trump's invatuation with the uber-powerful Russian leader Vladimir Putin. Russia's aggressive foreign policy in Ukraine and Syria, among other places, has also gotten its fair share of coverage here in the U.S. Less discussed, however, but no less relevant and probably more significant is the situation inside Russia itself. What is in the hearts and minds of many Russians? What do Russians want and why? How much more powerful could Mr. Putin get and by what means? What historical, social, political and cultural forces could help shed the light on the portrait of contemporary Russia? And in general, how did it come to this and where could it go from here? These and many other relevant questions are being served to you at this round table here today. And having said this, I'd like to ask my first question uh, and I'd like Tom, to uh, react to it first, but really I'd like all of the uh, faculty members to uh, go ahead and try to answer it. It's a very open-ended question, and I hope it will get things going. So the question is, what is your honest opinion of Russia today, and how is it different from your opinion of Russia 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and 30 years ago (laughs) at the collapse of the Soviet Union?
4: Ah, thanks, Alex. Um, I, I'm a, a professor of history, my specialty is Russian, especially Soviet, <coughs> 20th century history. Uh, I was in Russia just by coincidence in 91, 92 when the Soviet Union, I, when I entered, the, it was the Soviet Union, when I left it was Russia. So the Soviet Union disappeared while I was uh, spending my time in, in Moscow. So, uh, so I saw the, um, I saw the collapse Uh, firsthand, and I saw a lot of the desperation and anxiety that the collapse of the Soviet Union produced for for the the people of what became Russia. Um, So I I feel like I have some insight into the, I I think the sense of um, loss of power, loss of respect internationally, a sense maybe of humiliation of uh, Russian people as a result of that collapse. Uh, they went from being one of the two superpowers of the world to being looked at maybe as a struggling, almost you know, third world nation. And honestly, I, I think Putin's reaction to that, it's uh, he is trying, uh, I think in ways recklessly and uh, dangerously to reassert Russia as a world power. Um, not sure that they have the economic and military foundation to re- reassume that role. But uh, he's doing everything in his power to do that and to weaken his rivals in Europe and the United States. So that's, that's my quick take on okay. what I'm seeing right now.
2: Very helpful, and I love the insight. You still didn't tell me how you feel about Russia today.
4: How I feel about it?
2: What do you think about it? What is Russia right now to you?
4: Uh, to me, they're um, a, a dangerous, um, striving nation, and Putin's support among the Russian people depends on him having enemies uh, outside of Russia that would unite Russians against, uh, unite Russians together against that enemy, one of the, those enemies of the United States.
2: Very interesting. And you know, um, I looked at some stats from the Institute of Sociology called RUN in Russia. 68% of Russians are content and happy with how things stand. And about the same number really wants for Russia to regain its status of superpower in the world.
4: Yeah. That, so makes, uh, I think that's important. and. Uh, his popularity has risen every time there's been a crisis like uh, the Crimean occupation and the Ukraine.
2: I think he's been using that, the crises in general, very masterfully. Yeah. Minus some flips earlier, um, as is mentioned by a couple of articles my students have read for this. Like, for example, the sinking of a submarine to which he didn't respond for quite some time. People blamed him for that. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, thank you, Tom. And can we hear from maybe other uh, faculty members here?
8: Okay, this is Barbara. Um, I'll try to answer your question, but I'll also raise you hundred years and hundred and twenty years <laughs> ago as well. So hundred and twenty years ago, uh, the empire of Russia, the Russian Empire, was ruled by an autocratic czar. Uh, not necessarily, but people can correct this because I'm not an expert, uh, not necessarily supported by his own uh, noblemen uh, who were scattered all over an enormous uh, geographical area. A small amount of industrialization, obviously resistance, socialist, communist resistance to the czar, but definitely autocratic, no, no tradition of democracy, etc. Although a strong intellectual tradition and connections to to Europe, intellectual connections to Europe. Then you have the Soviet Union, the transition, again, many, many years, many, many decades, still no tradition of democratic. Rule still, you know, so you go from the czarist autocratic regime to the communist autocratic regime. Move forward, move forward. You get the collapse of the Soviet Union, the um, destabilizing effects of that worldwide, really, but also within within Russia itself. And this sort of smug reaction in the rest of the world, but certainly in the United States, we did this. Which, frankly, it's not entirely clear. At all of all of that, all of those years of the Cold War in opposition to the Soviet Union, it's not clear at all that that's what toppled the Soviet Union at all. But, um... Can I so, ask you a question? Or are you so... <clears throat> well, I'm... I'm, I'm yes. <laughs> I was moving on to answer. No, no, no. Uh, so, okay, so okay. remember okay. your question. So, what I, I feel that right now is probably the first... And then there's the class, and then there's this effort to build a, you know, democratic, representative, whatever, and pressure from the West to do that. But um, I did my homework and I looked at the Economist article that that Alex uh, suggested we read, and there was this, and this is gonna help answer, help me answer. Um, You know, it basically said the West's outrage at Putin's activities in Crimea, Syria, Ukraine, um, made Russians uh, feel that Putin was once again asserting their country's strength and power after the humiliations of the 1990s. You could have said the same thing about Hitler and Germany at the conclusion of, well, World War II, the Versailles Treaty, the humiliations, the imperial efforts. So for me, for the very first time, the Soviet Union represents to me a fascistic threat, it seems to me far greater than the communist threat ever was as, as a global presence. So that's kind of how I feel right now, particularly given what you said about the support. And, and 38%, I mean, 68% are content with Russia's status now.
2: Um, they're content with the way things are right now. way things are, but the other and, percent... And wish for the country to become a superpower. Oh, I'm wish saying. for the country to become a superpower.
8: Yeah, yeah, okay, there we but are. Then, but we... then
2: <laughs> something like... 20% couldn't even explain what Russia represents to I the see. rest of the world. Okay. But I have some other stats I'll share with you later. What, what you so mean? so what I hear from you, uh, especially if I underline the word fascistic, is mm-hmm. concern at the very least, maybe fear mm-hmm. of, of what is happening yeah. there and what it might mean for the region and maybe the world.
8: For the region, certainly. I think that's the most direct threat. Um, I'm not sure he really wants to get into... Well, I don't know. I have no idea what's in his mind, to be honest. But I really think given the behaviors so far,
2: regional threat is the greatest right now. Mm -hmm. Well that's interesting that you say that in the light of what happened here in the United States (laughs) and the direct effects of perhaps the Russian meddling in the election and the subsequent election of Mr. Trump to the presidency of this country. I think that's a danger to And yeah. all the roads lead back to Moscow, yeah. right? So um, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk about this a little later. I hope we will get a chance to talk about it. I, I want to pose
6: the question: so What what are the Russians considering a superpower? Like for how many? What, what percentage of that sixty to sixty-eight uh-huh. percent um,
1: thinks of that as potential kind of economic security? You That's, know, or are they thinking like world's dominated? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, 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 I mean. They might be thinking
6: of, well, if we were a superpower, we would be really just kind of economically secure and fine, and then they're not necessarily thinking of control or
1: they might not be thinking of it in a
2: negative. I way. have a staff for you here. Would you like to hear? I would. Uh, about a, a third of the Russians, mm-hmm. so some of them may be 60%, think that Russia is a developed country, mm-hmm. right? And some of it is maybe reflected in some of the things. Uh, like, for example, um, people feel like, especially based on the biased media coverage, all Russians have free Medicare, all Russians have free education, and they don't have it even in the US, so we are developed, this kind of thinking, right, to some extent. Um, and so they may be thinking that they're a developed country also because of the media, uh, media influences, right? The third?
8: Uh, about a
2: third of the country, 28%, right, so roughly a third of the country, that's what they think. And, uh, about 51% are actually optimistic about the future and see great things are yet going to happen for Russia in the future. So, um, but your question was more so what do Russians think of as a superpower?
8: What is their definition? Right, and I think, think
2: in my opinion, and based on things that I think many students here have read and what I understand, it's the country that is respected and feared in the world. Right, and obviously the nuclear weapons are there So they have something to say for in the military sense about their power, sheer military strength, right? But also the country that is respected, not just feared, right? Country that is looked up to. And actually, um, just a couple of days ago, um, I think it's called Doing Business or Doing Better Business. It's a report that comes out that ranks countries um, from 1 to 200 or 225. Best countries to do business or friendliest business atmosphere in the world. Russia was in, uh, in, I think, in twenty fourteen it was one hundred fourteenth place, and just two days ago it was marked thirtieth place. So there is clear stats, not biased, coming from Kremlin that could vouch for improvements, and for many Russians that's an example of perhaps development, Mm -hmm. right, or something they can associate with it, and also improving quality of life there in Russia. But again. Um, something for us to discuss later. Can we uh, can we get back to? Um, Thank you very much for asking that question. Oh no 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 problem. I, I hope that's okay. It's probably a common practice here. So, we Mr. Mr., Mr. Lane Evan, would you mind uh, telling us how you feel about Russia? What was Russia to you? And you grew up in the Cold War, right? Thanks nice for that. the Cold War. So did I. <laughs> so did I. Right. But anyway, and and so what was. it Like What was Soviet Union for you then? Barb said fear, maybe, concern, fascism. Soviet Union, communism, this is how you felt. And now, Russia today under Putin, this is how you feel.
3: I'll give you two examples, I think, that set it off well. Um, When I was young, I didn't think there was any color in Russia. I always heard Russia was a gray country, gray people, gray. So I thought it was actually gray. And when I saw pictures of the... Oh my god, that's the last thing. It's like Disney World. So that surprised me. Uh, the other thing is when I grew up, there were full shelters everywhere. I grew up in Queens, New York, and there was different basements of buildings where they had crackers and water. Where you'd go in case of a nuclear holocaust, so before you die, you'd have a cracker and then you'd die there as opposed to somewhere else. But that was as you were growing up. You were told, "Why is that there?" Oh, that's just in case when we are attacked. And those of you who've seen Duck and Cover, which you all should see, it doesn't talk about. It, yes, it, it says when the attack comes. So that was what we heard. We also heard five bell alarm, all the fire alarm drills in your high schools and so forth. But if you had the five alarm bell, that meant they're coming, and uh, you went into the hallway and you put your your head between your knees against the wall, so you'd leave a carbon stain in a C-shape as opposed to a I I-shape <laughs> but this is what we had, this propaganda, that uh, Russia was our enemy, that they will hurt us, that they're bad people, they're evil people, and we are the good guy. Um, it was quite more complicated than that, I learned as we grew older. so that's, as I grew up, that was our pressure of Russia. Now, as... You see they're a competing power in the world arena. Um, I think it's funny that you know, if you ask most Americans what Russians think of Putin, they go, oh, they must hate him. He kills his people, he steals money, all factual. You know, he said, uh, they love him, uh, but he takes away the human rights. And it's so funny how we don't see what's going on here, but um, we see Russia as uh, still that, there's still that they're evil and we're good that still exists mostly in our generation, looking at Barbara. But my feeling of him is that he's another player out there. Um, The Chinese are far more powerful, far more to be worried about. Our own president is far more powerful, far more to worry about. So he's a player in the arena, a strong one, a dangerous one. But I'm not spending my nights worrying about him. I'm spending my nights worrying about our own president. And in between, in between the late 80s, early 90s, the Cold War. The
2: Cold War. I mean when there was hope for that 15 minutes and And, minutes ago, and, and, and what was... The wall was, came down. Right. So at that time, and in the 90s, it was there seemed to be a thaw.
3: There was actually a moment, and I, I know none of you because you're all post 9-11. There was a moment in history that there actually was fresh air blowing, that you really felt there was that chance that we could get over the Cold War, that there actually could be cooperation that we can throw away all this horror that we have been living with up to that moment. It lasted a very short period of time. It was mismanaged terribly. I'm sure you talk about it in class in our country. It was sad that it lasted such a short period of time. Do uh, you remember that, Barbara? It was yeah. actually a moment when the wall came down that we felt hope, real hope. I don't want to uh, overstep Professor Gibbons'
8: turn, but um, one of the things I want to make clear though, I mean, uh, uh, Evan was talking about, you know, the duck and cover the generation. I'm three or four years older than you, I know I, know I look much more older than you than that. But, um, you know, so I was in the same, you know, he was in he was in Queens, I was in the Bronx. We were all ducking and covering and doing exactly the same thing. I was the daughter of a union organizing member of the Communist Party of the United States, the, the Communist Party of the USA and i had a very different feeling about russia my father it had been the great communist hope for him as an organizer this was the country that was going to lead the world to a better place and as he began to understand and 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 news filtering out what stalin was doing etc and to him marx and lenin were were heroes absolute heroes um, lenin in particular and um, He interpreted the news reporting about Stalin as Western news interpreting all of this stuff. So, you know, I was less, you know, kind of devoted to to the Soviet Union than, than he was. But to me, and possibly this is why I see the current threat as a fascist threat more than I ever saw a threat from communism, because I was raised to think that communism was a good thing. And as the Soviet Union's history went forward, my conclusion was more and more, this is not a communist state.
2: It's interesting <laughs> that you say that because I think at some point there's a nexus yeah. where communism and fascism overlap quite a bit, especially on the totalitarian plane of things. They
8: can, mm-hmm. but see, I believe strongly that communism does not have to be totalitarian.
2: I don't either, I don't either. Exactly. But I'm just saying there's an overlap of history, history where they meet quite a bit. Yes. So, um, uh, Phil, would you like to chime in a little bit? Uh, I I guess I could
9: say a couple things, but we should really get student voices in here at some point, like very quickly. So I was born in 69, 1969, so I have some overlap there. So my formative years were the 80s. So the Soviet Union was Ronald Reagan's evil empire. So we've gone from the evil empire to the disrespected empire. So from a world bristling with nuclear weapons, which we still have, there, to one where we have sort of a reactionary state, um, reacting with sort of some masculine gusto, which I think is worth maybe somebody talking about that a little bit. There's a gendered component to that leadership right now that I think matters significantly. So I'll leave it at that for for the observations. But we've gone from the evil empire to the disrespected empire.
2: Very nice. Thank you very much. Um, Would any of the
3: students like to uh, maybe express themselves?
7: Hard uh, call can't go as far back. look at that as an advantage. You. Um, I mean, I definitely can say because I didn't definitely didn't grow up with the Cold War kind of looming over. Uh, my high school was built in the '60s, and I remember one of the custodians told me there was a I think there was a fallout shelter actually under it because I remember seeing a sign for it once so be like arrows and. Uh, you know, as we learned about the stuff in history, really kind of grasped what that was. And I don't think I really had much of a strong opinion on Russia currently, probably until this election and a lot of the stuff about possible hacking and things with Putin, and then, of course, this class with the readings, where I really, I guess, kind of started listening up to it. Um, But I would say, uh, I agree with what was said, of it kind of seems like China might be more of a, a, Thing to worry about now. I think it was you who said it doesn't keep you up at night. But the more I learn about Putin and how he's been running Russia and his three terms, I think it is, uh, the more I'd say it's worth kind of getting your information and forming opinions.
6: Um, I would say that, considering that we didn't grow up in the Cold War, this is Aaron by the way, I would say that. Much of my experience learning about the Cold War was through my history courses. And I do have a strong interest in history. And I noticed in my courses, we were shown a couple of the really great propaganda videos, both in the 60s and in the 80s. And one of the, and one of the ones that always comes to mind with me is the one in the Reagan era where there's
1: a bear in the woods.
6: And it's just that bear walking in the tree line. And they're like, we don't know if this bear is dangerous or not but would you trust that bear? And it's all of this perception of Russia as this big (laughs) foreboding bear. And I think in a way, to build off of that um, metaphor of a bear, the Soviet Union was the bear in the woods. And then the collapse of the union was now this bear that has been caged and it's starved and it's being possibly beaten or like tased by someone. And that's how, I think that's almost in a way how Putin could feel that Russia feels, that the collapse of its strength, its borders, has weakened that there. And he sees this as the fault of other countries because of pressures from them. And one of the reasons why he has such an animosity towards Western cultures, and especially Hillary Clinton, is because he sees them as that same person that will
8: like,
3: poke and prod that bear in
0: that cage. There That's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the metaphors. Metaphor. Uh, um, yeah, this is Chris, and I'd like to comment on a comment made before. I'm if I'm wrong, but someone had stated that they're not afraid of Russia, and don't worry about them, but more afraid of their own president right now. Um, what would your feelings be if Hillary Clinton had been on, did. Um, because I know there's bad blood between um, Putin and Hillary. So would you then fear Russia, or how would that come into
3: play? Would Russia be more of I'll a put fear on the then? I'd first, or? and i start to dance. How I feel? <laughs> but uh, how would I feel? Uh, frankly, I would feel that uh, Putin would know, being, and I think as Phil put it, a lot of it has to do with male, gender, bravado, mm-hmm. I think that he would feel threatened. Hillary, which would comfort me. I think that somebody would be in the room that he would know was formidable and not a fool. And I think that he would have to not have as much free reign as he has now. And that's why he didn't want her there. Uh, Putin is not stupid, he's dangerous, he's not stupid. He saw a foe that he didn't want to deal with. So he put the person in that he wanted to And actually, can I
2: just buy off of that a little bit? Um, Think about what we wouldn't be doing right now if she were elected. There would be no special investigation, no resources or money going into that. We would actually be doing something in order to mediate the situation between Russia and the United States. And the relations would actually, I think, be a lot more predictable and stable than they are now. We don't know how far we're actually going to go in the direction of this foggy friendship between Russia and the United States under the current president before things have to go backwards. And I think when it has to go backwards there's going to be a lot more alienation and destruction between the countries in the relationships between the countries, the governments. Uh, But also I think to some extent it will play out on the people because of the extent to which propaganda is the noise machine for Kremlin. And it pretty much filters anything that happens through a specific set of ideological, let's call them, frames that people then ingest and make up their own minds based on Donald Trump.
4: And uh, the the election of Donald Trump has put us in this bizarre situation where the United States government is not responding at all to the interference that the Russian government put into our election, the undermining of our democratic procedure. So, because Trump can't admit that it happened because then it looks like maybe he was elected uh, unjustly. So we're paralyzed in terms of dealing with this threat, so for four years at least, there's not going to be any action taken to protect the United States from future inter- you know, political interventions in the way that um, Russia carried them out in this And, case and how much
2: worse will it get? This is the big thing, yeah. right? Since I have it in there. Uh, yeah, so um, I
5: agree with that, and I also think that it's, um, uh, I'm Maria Soledad, and um, I agree with you on uh, saying that um, Trump can admit that um, all this interference has happened because it would seem like he has been helped. But I also think that uh, in general, the US government doesn't want to recognize that they may not know how this whole thing happened and that could be a threat. And um, just like coming up with all this information and um, not knowing how either they were hacked or how all this like propaganda happened, uh, got into the web, uh, it just like it supposes a great threat and, it's, it could be like both, same both ways. Either he has been helped and they knew what there was going on. And that's for is bad for him, or either they didn't know what they don't know what happened. And it's just bad in general.
0: Yeah, I'm. As far as to get kind of a bit more. Oh, Jason. Um, <laughs> uh, as far as um, kind of how I feel to get off a little bit back on track of how I feel about Russia. And on today um, I think huge I, I mean honestly um, I feel terribly confused I feel like a lot of the uh, zeitgeist of this younger culture is uh, a little bit more confused as to what is going on not just nationally within our own borders but around the world um, and I keep on hearing about uh, this optimistic of the future type thing happening in China and in, um, and in Russia and these places that have more control over media um, as compared to here, more and more you hear uh, that what's happening now people are very uncertain of the future of the US and what's going on um, for better or for worse um, and so I think just war, the the whole way in which we deal with each other um, and, and get our ideas, like the, the war of the physical, is kind of almost passe compared to what's happening for the war in human consciousness, in the individual, and in cyberspace. Um, through that, I'll
6: um, go again. I have a. Yeah. Of that. if you're the way you're talking about that it's it speaks of instability and I think Putin is striving for instability within the u.s socially and politically not necessarily economically because we're dealing with them to a point and he needs that strong yeah. response sure. yeah but in a way he's one of the best ways that he can get more power for his people and his country, is by sowing instability and hostility in other countries. And, wait, right, I lost my um, And...
3: Well, let me help you with the yeah. Facebook ads that you <laughs> know come from Russia, exactly what you said. Yeah. Um, they're all about creating divisiveness, mm-hmm. and that's, you can, they're spending yeah. lots of money to do exactly what okay. you And yourself. not
6: only that, but a lot of Russian power is derived from its patriotism and its strong nationalism. And if he can also divide the U.S. on that, because if you look at U.S. patriotism, where is it? If you look at U.S. nationalism, it's not nearly as high as what you would find in Russia. And he can use that to his advantage to create a less stable superpower that is easier for him to overthrow.
10: Hello, Austin here talking about the media and Putin has such a strong media presence. It's known, it was in all the documentaries. And um, so it brings to light this question, is Putin trying to target millennials in the technological age? Um, our generation is so influenced by what's on social media, on the news, and um, him having this strong presence. Is this furthering his momentum in his own country and worldwide? Um, I know that he controls the media there, but it's also shown worldwide. Him shirtless riding horseback—these <laughs> are things that are like the macho. Yeah, exactly. But, but like, it's yeah. almost like comfortable to see in a way. That's a great question. It's normal. It's, it's that's, really a, cool. that's a great question. It <laughs> 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 hey, feel weird. I'm comfortable for whom? Well, like For you? Well, no. It's just like a, him, like feeding ducks or something. Like there was all these scenes of him. He was okay, he was so so. He was doing these crazy things, but normal day things too, just things that don't seem like a total like I can't say. Right. But okay. Yeah, but like this person that's
9: so powerful and strong and humanizing him. Humanizing him. Yeah. yeah. And let's not forget the guy is a master manipulator. Yeah. Yeah. It's Twenty years, what? Twenty years plus in the KGB. Kind of stuff. <laughs> you learn that You learn how to sow dissent if you want to sow dissent. You learn how to divide people or, you know, that's, nobody should be surprised by some of the strategies or tactics the guy influence. Oh, when,
6: when Megan so Kelly interviewed him, the fact mm-hmm. that he spoke directly in Russian and didn't have someone, and didn't speak from his own English, that just shows that that was his power play. Because that way he could speak <laughs> clearly in his own language and she had to have someone transcribe what his thoughts were.
9: It's subtle, but it's well cultivated. Mm-hmm. That's 20 years plus at KGB That's it.
6: That kicks in. Yeah. So, let, let alone course. the snarky comments he would get to her in Russian. Sometimes.
2: You say 20 years plus, I'd say more. Count through now. And then sure, yeah, of yeah. yeah. But, more form is what I'm saying. Yeah. And perfected. Yeah. So, um, speaking of the question that um, Mr. De here yeah. raised, often, um, is he targeting the millennials? Well, obviously. Think about it. What were the tools? that were used to influence the, let's call it, public opinion here in the U.S. during the election. Facebook? Okay, maybe your grandfather uses Facebook. I believe that. But does he use Instagram? Is he on Twitter all the time? And how about Pokemon? Does he play Pokemon games? Because all of them were in some ways used to spread these... You call them ads, I mean, right? Let's call them ideas. To spread these ideas that who do you think is going to be most susceptible to? People in their I don't know, middle to late years or people who are actually with it at all times? And who may be questioning reality and asking questions about what do I do, how do I think, where do I go from here? What, what, what should my decision be in the election, right? And ultimately, I think the answer, the simple answer to your question is yeah, without a doubt the young people were affected to a large extent, right? And that caused, actually, a great rift. let's just be blunt, in the Democratic Party. Because there are a lot of ads that were against Hillary for Bernie Sanders. And then, obviously, once Hillary won, there were a lot of ads against her in favor of Donald Trump. But they were also also sowing discontent on the other side, or at least aggravating people on the other side, um, presenting ads that would paint a really dark picture of what's happening in D.C., uh, under Obama, the Liberals, and so on and so forth. Um, did you want to say something? You were kind of raising your hand all along.
5: Uh Yeah, um, this was also talking about like, be, uh, Putin being manipul- manipulative, and uh, I was going to say, like, my question is, uh, would you think that maybe this whole interference in the election was just, with the propaganda and everything, was just like a power move, like a way to manipulate, like there's not really anything behind it, just the fact, well, there's are some certain reasons, but there, so far it doesn't seem to be like a really in-depth reason. So maybe it was just a way for him to show how, what he's capable of doing and show powers, uh, Russia, uh, sorry, Russia's power.
6: Yeah, in some ways I kind of like have been wondering what the games were, because there's this whole question of Putin Putin does what has, what's on his own agenda, but where does Trump fall in line with all this? Because He's just kind of like the man's brave, but then, yeah. But then, but then Putin, Putin. just says things like, "Oh, he he is a good man." But where do they fall in line with each other? Do they even have a relationship, and is it a mutual
2: relationship? That's a great question. And actually, Ke- Kelly, did you have something that uh, you're yeah. going yeah. to just go ahead? No,
1: I'm Kelly. I'm not in the inner
7: circle, but <laughs> like volume.
1: Oh, okay. So. Um, like, I think during the election, I think Hillary Clinton kind of pointed out really well, I think she said in many of her campaign, it was even in the documentary that we um, watched, said Donald Trump is a puppet, and he hates Hillary Clinton. Like, it's like, it's kind of like how people kind of took this election as, man, like, it's the lesser of two evils. Hillary's the lesser of two evils. Putin was like, well, I either get Hillary Clinton, who I hate, like, a lot, or I get Donald Trump, who's an idiot, and he will do... You know, I can sort of like, he can sort of manipulate Donald Trump into being like, oh, well, I guess Putin's like a good guy. Like, I still have a hard time thinking if Putin thinks that Donald Trump's either an idiot or he's incredibly smart. Either way, Putin's gonna manipulate him anyway. But he can't manipulate Hillary Clinton because Hillary Clinton has hated him for so long. But still, what's in it for Donald Trump?
3: Oh, nothing's in it for Donald Trump. Trump. He's
1: already president. want to do that.
3: <laughs> no, it's it's what's in it for Putin, it's absolutely brilliant, because what he did is not only did he get a person elected who was not a formidable foe, but then considerably weakened him by involving him in all of these um, scandals. This He's is assuming even, that there's yeah. no P tape. Right. No, <laughs> but <that> no. Is <laughs> not, <laughs> this <laughs> is not even going that far. That's, a, that's yeah. irrelevant. That's, yeah. They're all crazy. But when it comes down to corrupt, is what I care about. But look how brilliant it is. You get the weakest opponent Mm -hmm. in and then you compromise him Mm -hmm. because you've got the goods on him. They've got the goods on him. Why hasn't Trump investigated Russia? Why has Trump not put strong sanctions against Russia? I mean, if you look at it from a pure criminal law point of view, somebody's got the goods on somebody here.
6: He intimidates himself.
3: Oh my goodness. So, what you have is a weakened foe to begin with, and then you further weaken them. It's an unbelievable power play. You've got to admire him. Yeah. Um, if anything, he's intelligent, and it's brilliant. And, and actually, Tom will get right to you, and then to you, Phil, in just a
2: moment, if you don't mind. Um, just to go on in the same line of thinking what's happening in the US? Think about it. What has Trump done since he's been elected? If you look at it from a global perspective, he withdrew the US from a lot of the important things that the U.S. are participating in. What do you think is going to happen there? Who is going going to fill that vacuum? In what ways and how? Obviously, it is to the benefit of the other side, and that was, like you said, a very smart move, right? And you say he's got the goods on him. I've been been asking this question for a very long time, and please, correct me if I'm wrong, but I have not once heard Trump say a single bad thing about Putin. He criticizes, I don't know, his own children,
3: right? Don't he start, criticizes, start,
2: he criticizes yeah. <laughs> anyone you want. Yeah. Not a single time, not a single negative word. I say infatuation. I think it goes way beyond that. Tom and then Phil.
4: Yeah, I think Evan actually made most of the points I was going to point uh, make about what Putin gets out of this. Um, and one of the things I've read recently is that the Russian interference wasn't especially subtle or hidden. It wasn't covert. They, it was almost like they wanted people to know the Russian government was doing this and they were getting away with it. And, and you know, so he prevented Hillary from getting elected. He elected a weaker opponent. He weakened them further. And he's, the United States is tearing itself apart in response to the Trump presidency and everything that's surrounded that's it. So, so, it's, so in, it's a win on, like, five different levels. Yeah,
2: so these students, uh, I was quoting Catherine the Great, saying, you know, she, she stated once, there's no way for me to protect my borders but to expand them, right? There is some, quote-unquote, civil war happening in the U.S. It's only to the benefit of the foreign policy that has become a lot more aggressive under Putin, especially lately, of Russia. And ultimately, that vacuum is gradually, but very methodically, is being filled. Plus, it's being filtered through Russian media in a way that glorifies it and magnifies it even more. Phil, go ahead.
9: Well, Tom actually stole my phone. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was. That's what I was going to say. In what some till we withdraw from the UN, then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
11: Mr. Roberts? Uh, when we were talking about what's Putin's motive, I think we were talking about the shame nation, and it's kind of Putin's way of shaming America, and you were saying how it hasn't been hidden, and it's kind of his way of showing that he has this power to, like, completely destroy any nation that he wants. and targeted America because America's been number one with leading in all these different world organizations starting with World War II. You know, at the end with the treaties of Paris, kind of America shamed Russia by stepping up and shaming Stalin, kind of.
5: Stalin wanted to be powerful, but then
11: they, America just stepped up and took all the glory for themselves. And then furthering on, America's kind of destroyed Russia after that. So this is Putin's way of showing that I can destroy you back if I need to. And it wasn't even hidden. It was him showing to his people, I have more power now, and I can continue this power.
6: And if you look at every commentary that Putin has on America, a lot of it is him demanding the U.S. acknowledge its hypocrisies, its involvement in other examples of coups and various other political actions and assassinations, usually forged by the CIA. So in some ways, I think it's also him trying to get the US to see that you are corrupt. I'm going to show you some karma.
3: How weird was that our own president when confronted with Putin's atrocities? I think his quote was, well, we've done some bad things too. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Let's not let forget yeah. that Putin we could have written that line better. For yes. him. Well, he went even further than that, right? He said, "We have killers here yeah, too." Sure.
2: Right. I mean, it was a lot more blunt and direct than that. Um, I know we're coming up on some time here, mm-hmm. but I, I, I do want I do want I do want to um, ask one more question. How many of you realize how Colossal is the magnitude of the meddling of the, in in the U.S. election by an external power. I don't think enough is being said about that. Media talks about it. and They say, oh, yeah, they meddle. But do you realize how major it is? I have, like, sorry. I have, like just a quick thing. I had no idea that there was,
1: like, such animosity between Putin and Hillary. Like, I had no idea that they hated each other that much, and that was like something that like, I was like, because before, people were like, oh, like, they rigged the election, and I'm like, okay, well, we, I want to focus on like other things. Like, he won, and now we have to work on destroying everything like, he, that comes out of his mouth. But like, that was because I truly didn't understand, like, how much like they hated each other, and how much like
2: this grudge could go of how much he hated her. I'm gonna tell you that the word hate perhaps is not the only one you can use to describe this relationship, or it's not really a relationship. I'd say it's also fear. Because if she was elected the president, things would have been very different for Putin today on many fronts, including additional sanctions perhaps, including something else that could potentially hinder a lot of the major plans that he has in the works. And plus, plus, and I guess we're into this time where I have to start to wrap up, um, right. Ossoff, right? Stoppage it, time. Stoppage because we time. did, we did because of Ms. Mr. Alsop's um, technology. Um, yes. <laughs> anyway, no, I, don't, I don't,
3: I don't want to say anything I shouldn't say. Uh, but anyway, um, where was I oh, going with that? Ah, I remember. What's well, so the degree? Yeah, um, uh, I, how, I, how much do we understand? I remember exactly. You have to understand what Hillary... It wasn't just Hillary what she would do as
2: a president, what what she actually stood for as a person, what she represented, the kinds of forces inside society that were on her side, that have traditionally been on the side of the Democrats, but in general that were on, on her side and in whose favor things would have turned if she were to win, versus the forces on the other side, but more specifically the forces that Putin has engaged into coming to power and increasing his power to the level of that, I don't think any one leader in Russia has ever had, not even under the Soviet Union.
8: I hadn't thought about this before, but your question has prompted me to, to think that not not only is it a colossal thing that a foreign power interfered with the American election to the extent of swinging it into the hands of, of the person they wanted, but it's a statement about the weakness of democracy. If this was a totalitarian, if this was a dictatorship, there wouldn't have been any stupid election and I wouldn't have been able to swing it here. So this just demonstrates that that is a weak political system because it's Mm -hmm. vulnerable to being swung here and there whereas we have a strong political system that can't be interfered with.
2: Very interesting. Do you think because such an
11: outside force was able to swing results of our election that any changes will be made to the electoral college system? As a no, not not
0: in contemporary, not soon, not in, not soon, not in, uh, in terms of uh, contemporary times, but uh, in the future, um, seeing
2: how we're moving. It's, it's hard to see into the future, but I think you're raising some really important points here. In particular, and I'm not sure if we talked about it in my class yet or not, but think about the role that social media played in the outcome of this election. Something that was never foreseen by the founders, not engaged in any way in the founding documents, could have never been imagined. Maybe, perhaps, there's a lot of talk about taking the electoral college away, amending the Constitution, and so on and so forth. Um, I mean, I, I, if you had to ask me right now and I had to give you an answer, I would say anything is possible, right? Um, but I couldn't tell you for sure. But as far as I'm concerned, and with Mr. Devin not in the near future.
3: We have to, we have to acknowledge there's even a problem with the President of the United States in light of every single organization, every intelligence organization has said it happened. They even have the, the appetizers, they have it. He still says it's fake news. So no matter what, there can't be any change if our president says it didn't happen. And my fear is the 2018 election is going to be tampered with because nothing's being put in to save it. The 2020 election, until this guy leaves office, until we actually say we have a country worth saving, and maybe we should do it, it's going to get worse. And he he must be having a wonderful time. And, and they're learning because if
9: it has exposed the weaknesses and the flaws and the and the problems, they're just learning while we sit and, become, and do nothing. And, and, not, and think yeah. about so and and, and valuable, right? That that and, time of inaction, they're learning from what they <coughs> were able to exploit and then amplify
2: via social media
9: oh tactics and strategies.
2: And let's assume that he doesn't lie. get. Let's assume that Mr. Trump does not get impeached until the, the three years are up right and let's assume that he's running again and and let's and let's and let's now assume that Russia is already meddling without anyone preventing the meddling we are investigating what happened in the past but what is happening right now what are the Russians planning for three years from now and with this president not even in any way saying a single negative thing about The other side, I imagine that now they feel like their hands are a lot more untied than they were in the previous election, and so what might happen could even be worse than what's already happened. And you're absolutely right. Those words, if we still have the country worth saving, maybe we will do something about it. Um, Did you have a question? Already asked.
4: Um,
2: So. So I'm going to start to wrap things up, um, and so I'd like to go back to what I said earlier. Will it get worse yet? Um, and that's kind of part of the title. And I want to go back to um, a couple of things that were said earlier. Um, the word fascism comes to mind. What is fascism? Right? It's a hard. It's a hard question to answer in thirty seconds. Something you'll have to do, but. Several elements of fascism, right, um, have pretty much everything that goes against liberal democracy. One hundred percent, and a lot of it has to do with some core conservative values. I wrote in that little introductory paragraph I read earlier that there are certain forces in Russia that have allowed for what happens to happen there and are continually uh, having an effect on the society there. And one of these forces is the so-called conservative revolution that took place in Russia using the power of the Russian media to ultimately form an ideal of what is right and what should be propagated and continually grown versus what is wrong and shouldn't be. And so the crackdown on the LGBT community the crackdown on any liberal uh, institutions in the press or media, uh, the enforced view of certain historical values—that going right back to what Phil said—are very much masculine, very patriarchal—is very much at the cons- at the core of any conservatism. But in particular, this one conservatism that Putin is using, ultimately, as a major tool to shape contemporary Russia, and also which is something for everyone to be concerned with today to form the world view of the Russian people and how they perceive what's happening around them in the world, not just inside the country. And just a couple of days ago, the biggest religious leader, Patriarch Kirill of Russia, made a very interesting comment. He said, the elites are an extension of the people. And we are one and the same. And the elites must do everything in their power to serve the country first and themselves second. Thus elevating whoever is in power to ultimately the level of very powerful individuals, very powerful ruling class. And speaking of this ruling class, one other thing that is happening in Russia, many people don't realize, is a major cleaning of the leadership positions. There's a shift away from any elections towards appointments, and these appointments are increasingly more and more managed by the Kremlin and handpicked by Putin. He's been replacing the governors in major um, regions. There's 85 federal units in Russia. He's been replacing them consistently, and one of the first things he's, he's done was replace them with the friendly ones. Now he's replacing the friendly ones with the young ones, whom he actually reared himself in the last 20 years, who now owe everything they have just to him. And therefore, what we're looking at, the cover of The Economist that, um, that I recommended you to read, is perhaps not only the most powerful person in the history of Russia, but perhaps, maybe in the years to come, the most powerful person in the modern history of the world, because of the extent to which he's able to control his own country. And think about it, by extension. The most powerful country in the world through affecting, for example, the latest election and ultimately hand-picking a leader for this country here. Think about the magnitude of that. And let me tell you something. March 18th of 2018, elections in Russia. It's going to be a great show to watch because Putin is going to win. But everything that happens between now and then is going to be one of the greatest spectacles you'll enjoy. And I strongly recommend you watch it. Thank you. Thank you all for coming, especially the faculty and the students in the inner circle. You are, and Mr. Allsup. Your technological RS is just, uh, I don't know, deserves much more commentary, but I'll stop at this time. <laughs> twice now. Brother.
3: First we like to do is everyone who was in the inner circle of-